Welcome back to Coaching Current in episode 26. This is our panel of resident experts. I'm Dave D'Agostino, your co-host with America's most beloved sports writer, Kevin Kernan, back from his Cooperstown trip. We're joined by Will George, Colorado Rockies scout, and Sal Marinello, our performance coach. Guys, welcome back. Good morning, everyone. Great to be here. Kevin, you want to get us started today? I know you sometimes like to get us rolling here with something that's on your mind or fired up about. What are you seeing out there? Oh, well, I'm seeing plenty, as always. I had a great trip to the Hall of Fame. I recommend the story on Ball Nine, because not only did I um, check out the Hall of Fame, but I went with my grandson and, and his dad, so my son. So we had three generations. There's a film, Generations of the Game, that is uh, phenomenal. It has all these great Hall of Famers. Thomas Tull did it, you know, uh, the producer. And you have Cal Ripken Jr. repeating Lou Gehrig's speech with with the today, 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 you know, you have Joe Morgan, you have Tom Seaver with those eyes on the prize mission talking about how whenever he went to the Hall of Fame, he would put his hand on his plaque and he also touched Christy Matheson, Walter Johnson, just to feel uh, the, the connection of the generations. And he also talked about how much he loved Little League, you know, so it, it was a it's a great film. And of course, all the all the artifacts at the Hall of Fame are off the charts and it was couple beautiful days and uh, to be there with young young people makes it uh, gives you an, another view of it all and also you gotta you gotta realize that these guys the passion they have for the game is off the is off the charts and you watch today's players half of them don't know what the heck they're doing it's unbelievable uh the media uh, just goes along sometimes with uh you know the whole pass ball mentality when wild pitches everything's a we uh, everything was a is a wild pitch, even though it should be blocked. Uh, one quick play I want to point out: watching the Reds, uh, Reds Phillies last night. Reds right fielder all tatted up, looking good. Ball hit to his left. Castellanos line drive single. Um, um, JT Viamuto on first base, and I like to get specific. That's why I'm telling this story. Viamuto, old school, runs hard, runs hard. First to third. Most guys jog in the third base. He's running hard. The brainless right fielder throws the ball over to second and misses everybody. And Riamuto scores easily. What in the world are you doing throwing behind the runner, not keeping the ball in front of you, not keeping the guy at third base and, and getting the ball in quickly, keeping the double play in order? Nobody says a word. Nobody says a word. It just keeps going. It just keeps going. You know, and, uh, and that's what's wrong with baseball today. I'm really getting to the point where I think that baseball will never climb out, climb out of its rut of not knowing the game, the players not knowing the game. And that's why players like Judge and and, and managers like Showalter uh, and people like the Astros, uh, you may hate the Astros for the cheating scandal, but they play baseball right. And that's why those teams are in the playoffs all the time now and the other teams aren't. It's not going to change. Uh it's only getting worse, I would say, and it's only getting worse. And I, I also was at a youth tournament, and I'll, I'll, I'll cut it here. Um, it was fun to see some of the kids play. You know, uh, there was a, a nice team from Patterson, New Jersey, a couple of nice teams from California. They kind of understood the game for the most part. Um, you know, a lot of teams didn't, but it was nice to see players really play hard at that age and, um, and play baseball. It's still the greatest game. And uh, my the overall my overall point is going to Cooperstown, going to see Renny Larue from the New York State Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum uh, Hall of Fame, um, really kind of brought uh, baseball back to center for me. And if anything, it's made me more adamant to be combative towards the nerds and what they've done to ruin the game. And I am not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pull back one inch. So there it is, declaration of war. And we don't want you to. And I, I know your, uh, your your grandson swung the bat pretty well up there, so had a hit in every game. From yeah, from he uh, he uh, he hit about uh, five eighty. And I'm not into numbers, you know, but I like that number. And um, you know, and he, and he hit the ball different off fields and uh, played hard. No, knows his weaknesses. Got got plenty of weaknesses he can work on too. But he's got some strengths, and um, it was fun to see. Nice. Well, it sounds like yeah, we followed you on online, and it sounds like a great trip for you and your son and. And your grandson too. We'll get to get to some of the analytics we've seen in the news lately. Joe Madden was very vocal um, in the Tampa Tribune, I believe it was, and followed up a nice meeting that Rod Carew had at the Baseball Hall of Fame 
banquet with Rob Manford, where he said he looked like he wanted to run away. And recently, Jim Cott retired from announcing, and he had his choice words for the state of baseball and, and Rob Manford. So um, who, who wants to start and which one you want to start with there? I, I love what Madden said. Um, he was he was very telltale. He, he, he pointed right at where the problem was. Will, you want to go? Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. It's um, it's crazy to me that uh, the people that you just mentioned are speaking out, and a lot of the former Hall of Fame players speak have spoken out, but it falls on deaf ears to their organizations. You know, they want to have them back for alumni night to have all the fans come out and you know, honor their greatness as what they did for their organization as players, but nobody wants to listen to them when they're talking about what's what's wrong right now with baseball and and that the game is not being played at the level that it should be played. And that's sad that it's happening that way. Kevin, go ahead. Yeah, I had a long conversation with Joe uh, recently and um, – you know, we, we were just talking, so I wasn't writing about it. But many, many of the uh, many of the points he made, and actually many more, many more are coming. Joe's got a book coming out, and all I can say is you're gonna you're gonna want to read the book first off because uh, you know he's just such, such a unique person, Hazelton. He's spending a summer up in uh, Pennsylvania, but he he lets it fly with what he saw with the Angels and the the, the management disturbance from up above that's clueless people running the game clueless people uh taking over like um in charge of coaches and development and and also people who just love data talking about data instead of talking about baseball so all i can say is when uh, joe will be on the show at some point yeah and uh, he'll be a blast uh to talk to but he knows the game inside and out, and you can't say Joe Madden doesn't use numbers when they work for him. So yeah. Joe Joe combines both. If you're if you're pissing off Joe Madden, who combines both worlds, then you're doing something wrong. And uh, you know what? Football season's coming. That'll be a lot more fun to watch than some of this garbage. And you talk, yeah, talking about Joe Madden, he was very open minded with embracing analytics in Tampa. And here's the quote that he had, and it was the Tampa Times, not the Tampa Tribune. I made a mistake. He said it's a point where some GMs should really put a uniform on and go down to the dugout or their main analytical membrane. He should go down there to that dugout because they try to work this middleman kind of thing. And what happens is when the performance isn't what they think it should be, it's never about the acquisitional process. It's always about the inability of coaches and managers to get the best out of a player. And that's where the tremendous disconnect is formed. I thought that was telling. And it, it was telling and it also was great that he used the word membrane. I love that. Yeah. They're soulless. They're soulless people. And, which brings us to physicalness and Sal. Yep, Sal, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, you know, I know this is a baseball, obviously uh, driven cast, but you know, and I'm I come from a different background in that I've been more involved with other sports or as involved. Football does a lot of things that's wrong that are wrong, in my opinion. However, I think they do a lot of the things right that uh, Kevin and Will and you, Dave, and and some of these others are talking about. Um, and that's why I think that game gets better. Um, and it, you don't want to turn baseball into football. That's not what I'm saying. But, you, I mean, it, it sounds like a ludicrous example or comparison. But imagine a defense in football doing the same thing that uh, a defense in baseball does. Like put everybody on one side of the football and the offense in football not running to the other side. You know, that's a great point, pal. Fans would tear down the stadium. Every color announcer would rip the coaching. Um, The local media from Twitter to the evening news would be all over it. And yet every game we see multiple examples of that same thing happening. Yeah, we saw Matt Olson go the other way the other day. And there's, you know, we're going to talk about an article next, but there, there was a, I think an article by Bill James that said that it's pretty close to even about how many hits are taken away due to the shift as opposed to hits that are happened because of the shift. So it's, it's really a wash either way. It seems like with, with the shift. So, but the, the fact that hitters won't take advantage of it is, is beyond me as well. So. Well, it um, wouldn't be a wash. It wouldn't be a wash if the hitters uh, smartened up and just, took yeah. what, you know, and, and again, uh, 
I know I point out the judge a lot, but he's, where did his home runs go? Did they all go to left field? No. He takes advantage of the short porch in right field. And, uh, you know, he lifts the ball. I have no problem with him. That guy lifting the ball. But these guys not taking – I mean, I think it's going to be a real problem when you get to the postseason, too, with some of these teams that they, they think they're good. They're not going to be good. And I think you're going to see the same characters uh, moving on in the postseason. And uh, I like what Dennis Eckersley said about the uh, – the uh, pirates saying, saying they were a hodgepodge of nothingness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was hard. The, um, Very if, hard. If kids listening and parents listening want to listen to how to hit the ball the other way, we talk about it on the show. But Joe Barth had great points yesterday about letting the ball get deeper. He talked about Tony Gwynn's BP, and Kevin's talked about that before when he starts yeah. the third base dugout, actually, from the left side. And he also talked about, and I want to make this clear, Dave, he, he gave – he wasn't just talking about how you know you got to do this. He was showing you how to do it, uh, yeah. recognition, uh, uh, and, and he's not talking about hips. He's talking about you know your butt basically. Uh, that's where the power comes from, which I've always maintained. He yeah. talked about um, the punch, which I brought up many times with Barry Bonds, and I know we had some emails early on about. It. Can you explain further the punch? Well, if you want more about the punch, because I can only go so far, but Joe Barth broke it down incredibly. So I would say. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, um, I'm not into giving uh, grades, but I would say from a baseball information standpoint, that podcast with Joe Barth was better than any podcast that's been on, uh, uh, been on in 10 years. Yeah. Joe's Joe, I've, I've known Joe for close to 35 years now and he's fabulous with, with, uh, understanding it and, and how many things did he say, about you taking responsibility of yourself and figuring out how to do it right and how 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 that's that's so lost now uh guys have, are not able to figure figure their own bodies out and you know Joe talked at, at depth about that he talked about Ken Griffey Jr figuring things out on his own when he signed a professional contract and not Every kid's Ken, Ken Griffey Jr., but each kid can figure out what he can do and what he can't do by working. And he With talked that. about the big donkey pitchers who just throw a fastball, can't throw over. And we yeah. see that every night in the uh, MLB. Yes. Well, um, I'll, I'll bring one thing that Joe talked to me about off air. I wish I had brought it on yesterday, but we, uh, and he, I think he, people got this from his point. He's not cookie cutter. He doesn't believe he puts greatness in anybody, but he believes he can uncover and discover a little bit. And he lets people kind of make their choices along, along the lines of his principles. I, I love that about him. He, he, he doesn't yeah. have to, he's got ego enough to know he, what he's talking about, but he doesn't feel like he's got to stand out in front like hitting gurus do and say, this is mine. This is mine. Well, you and, know, there's, there's a great yeah. phrase. One of the mentors I have uses about describing the, the right way to do things. And it's, it's um, athlete centered coach uh, driven and not the other way around. And I think that's a good point there because, you know, the, a good coach knows where that athlete needs to go, but it's not going to be the one that's like, this is the way everybody has to do it, or this is what I think. This is what, you know, the coach has to be able to adjust to all the needs of all these different kids or, or you know, men or girls, whatever this case may be. But that's, yeah. you know, that's the, that's the problem. Too much of these, uh, too many of these coaching um, geniuses, it's all about them, you know. You know, and the the uniqueness of working with Joe when he started doing this in 1986 or 87, I think it was, you know, and he called himself the hit doctor. We had a prescription pad, but each of the prescriptions was we cared about each kid. It wasn't a bunch of platitudes. Hey, you know, do, you know, hit – you know, hit off the tee for 10 minutes and do this and you're going to be good. It was talking to each kid about how to become a better hitter. It was talking to each pitcher. You know, I wasn't allowed to write a prescription on a pitcher that wasn't individualized. It wasn't a cookie cut. It wasn't, you know, you got to have better balance. You got to do this. You know, we got to create better balance and rhythm and, you know, you got to get your hands quicker out of your gloves. I'm going to give you hand speed drills. We had all different things that we were giving kids. And and that's that's why he helped so many kids, because it wasn't a cookie cut that so many people are stealing families' monies 
by just going in a cage and hitting off a tee and hitting soft toss and hitting off of a machine, but not truly teaching that kid how to become a better hitter or a better pitcher or whatever it is. And well, I want to take that one step further. I don't, I don't feel sorry for those parents that are getting their money stolen. They deserve to get their money stolen because they're not doing their homework. You know no. what? Do your homework. Realize it's you're not just there. Uh, you're not just there getting milkshakes for the kids or doing this after a game and praising them when they lose or when they stink. You know what? Work harder. Find a coach. You work harder as a parent to find yeah. the right coach for your kid instead of. It's such an easy thing to say. Oh, that this this guy's stealing money, and and you know what? Well, we we see it now in the major leagues. We see teams that have 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 uh, guys in charge who are basically stealing the money from the teams. You know, all these guys are still hurt. I mean, fourteen pitch, uh, fourteen players on the Rays now are on the injured list. Fourteen. Yeah. You know, look at the Yankee, Yankees are losing. Every time I got I got to read about another great Yankee reliever who's the greatest in the world, and then like a month later he's uh, oh he's on the what happened to him he's on the IL oh that's a great system that's working great Jordan right. Montgomery like I told you I'm fired up Jordan Montgomery I always loved that kid because I loved his toughness uh, and and people mistake toughness sometimes for uh, you know uh, for whatever but he, he was so tough what's going on with Jordan Montgomery uh, I'm sure Dave wants to weigh on this but. Jordan Montgomery, complete game, one hit, shutout, no, first complete game. He, you know, they they took off the uh, the uh, training wheels over there in St. Louis. Yeah, but, I mean, it was a Greg Maddox-like performance, under 100 pitches, very economical. Um, I, and I can't figure out, did he become all of a sudden a better pitcher or are they just turning him loose? What were the Yankees not doing with him? Or, probably, you know? probably turning him loose, having a, an extremely good catcher, uh, like I in our group text last night, I shared with you guys catchers catchers that actually have a great feel for calling a game and running a game can walk a pitcher through a game and make that pitcher so much better. Um, you know, old school catching guys used to used to tell the catchers, you know, the L should go next to your name. You should be able to walk your pitcher through a game. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, Molly, uh, you know, I have a I have a Hall of Fame vote, and I want to let everybody know right now, especially the nerds, uh, Yadi Molina's first ballot Hall of Famer. To oh, me. without a doubt. Are you kidding me? What he's done with this kid, and again, I think it's it's credit goes to Montgomery too, because he is like I said, he's a tough kid, so he can take that criticism that maybe the pitching staff. Uh, I think the uh, the announcer made a really nice point last night uh, on that game, and I don't know who it was, uh, but. He was talking about how um, when the Cardinals, uh, they have their side sessions, everybody watches. Now, that's not unique. I've seen that with the uh, Mets. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it becomes a cheering section, you know, like, yeah. oh, you know, Syndergaard's swing, oh, wow, wow, wow. You know, DeGrom's swing, wow, wow, wow. Well, the Cardinals evidently, it goes back to Adam Wainwright. They Adam turn- Wainwright. And, yeah. yeah. It goes back to him and Matt Morris and – uh, that's something that they've always done there, which I think is unbelievable. Those kids are all students of the game. Um, and I believe the pitching coach's last name is Maddox that's there. Wow, so, bring that yeah. up. You know, there's some intelligence that goes along with him. Uh, new set of eyes. You know, you look at a guy like Montgomery and maybe change up, changing up his sequencing a little bit, using his curveball a little bit more. Uh, than he was in New York. I, don't, I haven't looked at the breakdowns, but, you know, uh, it works. <laughs> you know, I heard um, they were talking about Maddox the other night, and I wanted to add this to the unofficial list or official list of records that will never be broken. I think they said Mike Maddox threw a nine-inning complete game with 67 pitches. I think uh, you'll never see that happen again. No, no. There's, there, there's a lot of uh, – uh, a lot of those Maddox things, you know, what, what was the one that was was on Facebook? Uh, like thirty thousand hitters, he only had three and zero counts on uh, like a hundred hitters out of thirty thousand. Yeah, at the Hall of Fame too. Uh, my son noticed uh, the three hundred game winners. Yeah, you know? so uh, we're not going to see that anymore. And why aren't we seeing this? Because the guys in charge of the game don't know baseball anymore. It's not that the no. athletes, there's not guys that can't win 300 anymore. They're not allowed to win 300 anymore. No, no, they're not allowed to. They're not, they never get their leash taken off to, 
to, to, to, to let them try to develop, you know, you know, we, you know, we want a marathon runner, but we won't let them run anything more than a half a dozen sprints to get ready for a marathon. I, I'm going to let them go. Guys, you know? guys, we texted this. I think at least Dave and I did, you know, I, I, and we mentioned it briefly about the Grom with his dominance versus his numbers. And he has fewer career starts than Tom Seaver had complete games. And Tom Seaver didn't have the most complete games ever. I'm just looking at a guy who was, you know, a dominant pitcher for a period of time. I, I just, for some reason, that's like a mind-boggling thing to, to think about. That right. you know, He hasn't even had the start, you know, as many uh, starts as Seaver had complete games. Uh, to me, okay. that's crazy. Well, Seaver, and again, he, he was on that video that I mentioned. And again, get to the Hall of Fame. See that You can only see this video up there. Um, generations of the game. And Seaver made it clear, like all these guys, he's finishing the game. You, you know, you're, you're not getting the ball from him. Right. And Montgomery showed last night what he was doing. He was finishing the game. So, again, Montgomery is capable of pitching a complete game, but the guys in charge of the Yankees never let him do it. So it's the same thing with catchers. They're capable of blocking pitchers, but they got them on one knee. Yeah. I mean, I can go around. Let's go. To, you can go to every position and say what they're doing wrong. And then if you get the hard-nosed guy like a Montgomery who can take some criticism, make some adjustments, and also has a nice chip on his shoulder now because the Yankees got rid of him, you will have success. And I think, uh, to me, those are the things I look for now in a game. There may be 15 things that make me upset about the game, but you see Montgomery get a complete game. That's a great accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, that looks, you mentioned the, the one knee step. Let's go to that Baseball America article. Baseball America wrote an article that the one knee catching style is more efficient. There's less pass balls, uh, less stolen bases. With our own eyes when we're watching the game, we, we all see that this style is not working. Um, and, and I guess I'm doing a, a loaded question here, but h- how do we account for that, that article? Uh, you know, how do we – go ahead. Well, I mean, we all know it's not true, but – Give us some insight into well, the uh, um, uh, Go look at the leagues where they uh, – um, this year where they they were trying to get more stolen bases by limiting the number of times a pitcher could throw over. So uh, that, that stat must be baseball-wide because the rest of the industry doesn't steal bases because the analytic people say – if you steal a base or you sacrifice bunt, you're giving away an out. They just assume that there's the, the runner doesn't advance and that's an out. So uh, that's the reason why the stolen base thing. And then the other thing that uh, night after night after night at every level, the official scorers call everything a wild pitch. And that's, that's a curveball that bounces, you know, an eighth of an inch from the catcher's glove and it, and, and he doesn't secure it, that, that becomes a wild pitch now. And I've seen, and I've heard the arguments from people, they, they name a list of catchers that had done it in the past, Tony Pena, Benito Santiago. And I kind of laugh, um, these guys that are trying it all the way down to, to grassroots, those kids aren't Tony Pena or Benito Santiago. There was a little bit more mobility behind those guys. And 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 those guys most of the time didn't do that with men on base either. Right. Yep. We're um, seeing hey, and I, I covered Tony, Tony pitched for me yep. when I was a pitching coach in the Dominican. He was one of our catchers there. And uh, he blocked everything in the dirt and he got low strikes. He got our pitchers to stay down in the strike zone. Um and uh, I pitched to Benito when I played in the Padres organization in Miami in 1983. And then he was our catcher with the Marlins when I first started with the Marlins in 93. Um, you know, Benito was a freak athletically. Most of these kids are not. And so was Tony Pena. Yeah. So. Kevin, go ahead. You were going to jump in. No, I was just going to basically make the point that Will did, and uh, he did it so well. And Benito was so unique. I mean, the things that he did, he's also a guy, too. I remember when he was in, you know, he got his first contract that was a, a substance, uh, substantial, and he, he called me over. He, he actually had me to his house, 
and had a great view and we went in the backyard and he goes, uh, you know, Kevin, I brought this house without even walking in. It was all about the view. So, so imagine that, you know, this, this guy never walked in the house, loved the view, brought the house. And he was, he was, he was a little wacky too, in a way where you had to be on your game. One game in Chicago, there was a, um, it was an extra innings runner on second, a real runner on second. And a guy got a, it might've been Manny Trio and uh, Benito decided to try to pick him up, pick him, pick him off during uh, an intentional walk. And um, uh, Robbie Alomar was looking away and the ball, thank God, was just to the left of his head or else it would have killed Robbie Alomar. So, so uh, Benito did his thing. Oh, you know, yeah. he, uh, <laughs> you know, I had him as a young, young catcher in a ball and I was a, uh, the older pitcher that got sent down there is sort of like a player coach. And uh, I, I, you know, he had one finger that he would put down and that was it fastball. <laughs> and I would have to shake him off about a hundred times, but we, we ended up having a great relationship and always talking about it and him understanding, you know, at that point in my career, I didn't throw hard. So, you know, Benito, I got to make my fastball better by going slow to hard all the time. And he figured a lot of that stuff out, and he, he carried it with him. Yeah, he might, he loved the fastball because he could throw guys out and could show Oh, yeah, game. exactly. He wanted to have a shot. What an arm, though. Ooh, yeah, terrible. gun. Another, another good catcher that you, you probably ran across will being with the Orioles system, Rick Dempsey. Uh, yeah. He really, te- if people want to listen to this one-knee catching breakdown, he does a great job on his podcast. But he was breaking down Little League World Series this past week yeah. with all the catchers going down on one knee and Chronicle and – Guys were just taking bases on. They were doing runners on base. It does nothing to uh, steal strikes, as they say it does. And uh, he, he was really harsh on it. Uh, he was very critical of the yeah. um, the coaches and, and the kids trying it and nobody correcting them and just seeing pass ball after pass ball after pass ball. Um, I'm, I'm appalled by it. I read the article. I laughed because I knew it was propaganda. It was much like we talk about. It was numbers and stats to validate a decision that had already been made and trying to pump, pump the youth and the – out there to say this is the way to go, and I'm with you, you on it. Wear your mask too, by the way. If, if, yes, uh, wear your mask everywhere you go. I mean, not catcher's uh, mask. You're not talking I, about. Yeah, I, I stopped in a rest rest stop at about 10 a.m. Uh, 10 p.m. the other night, and uh, this couple came out of the car, both wearing masks. Nobody else in the rest stop within you know 500 yards, and uh, you know that's uh, you know it's, it's the way to go these days. You know, the other thing, Dave, not to to, to beat a dead horse, but when when you look at any sport and you're going to try to justify a technique or a position, however you want to qualify it, define it, that's not sound from a fundamental movement standpoint. You get what we're into this. You know, you could you could justify a lot of stuff that goes on. It doesn't mean it's the best way to do things. It's just right. the way we do things. And that's what we're we're at now. We're, we're at a, po- a point now where this, quote, research is designed to reflect, like you said, the decision that was already made instead of actually shedding light on the subject. So yeah, why is that with baseball? They just do things that make no sense where you and, and I and I, you know, the other sports way better than I do. Why does football, for the most part, do realistic uh, things as well as I would imagine lacrosse? Whereas baseball doesn't. What what, what is this uh, mindset that allows baseball to tell you that the sky is uh, the sky is yellow? Well, I, I think there are things that all sports do. I think it's just the degree to which they are trying to convince you. I don't think football, you know, football is so involved with minutia, and I could, you know, you'd, your head would spin when uh, you know you hear about how they try to teach kids to run routes without actually telling them how to move fundamentally sound. So a lot of this stuff, um, a lot of this stuff just kind of has a life of its own, uh, uh, Kevin. And I think it goes back to what our discussion was about. There's so much to, to do in baseball that they try to make it dump. They dumb it down because um, the attention span of a lot of people is no longer what it was. So maybe this, maybe Kevin, this is an end result of the attention span that we've lost as a society, you know, and it's, 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 it's the effect on how you play the game as a result. I don't know. Uh, But, you know, there's a lot of things wrong in a lot of sports, but it just seems baseball is glaring in that. 
Well, the point you make about, and I've been make, making this for years. You know, it'd be like an you know unbalanced line. Yeah, and, and you're you're going to run right into the trouble. I mean, right. maybe Belichick will do that every once in a while because he's got something else figured out. He's setting something else down the road. But baseball is telling us that this is the right thing to do. Get on one knee. Meanwhile, we're seeing the ball go to the backstop. We're seeing runners move up. You could steal a million bases now against these guys. There's so many things you can do. You can hit 300 easy just by going the other way. You can drop down a bunt. And what is it about baseball fans and the people in charge of baseball that they believe all the BS? That's that's essentially my question, and I'll throw it out to all you guys. I, you know, for me, they've put a premium on uh, pitch framing, and um, you know, you watch you watch this uh, from the ground up uh, movement, eight to ten inches, uh, sticking pitches at the top of the strike zone, and I, I saw somebody from uh, the Giants doing one the other day where uh, at the top of the strike zone, he says, when you get it, you dunk it. Like you're yeah. dunking a basketball, so that's okay. and 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 you have this, and you have the bottom one, and then you watch the Little League World Series where these poor little kids are on one knee and they're trying to frame pitches that are 17 inches off a home plate and moving them 17 inches, and well, Major League Baseball is going to go to an automated strike zone, and you've put all this premium on catching on one knee and framing and trying to steal pitches and fool the umpire, basically, none of that makes any sense to me because when you go to an automated strike zone, the automation doesn't yeah. get fooled by the by the faux, the faux movement of trying to take a ball into the strike zone that wasn't in the strike zone. Well, I want to take it one step further. I think I know why. I think I answered my own question with your answer just thinking about it. There's another level of mid middle management that can say we did this. Oh yeah, come up with this. This is going to make us better. And the nerdy owner who only looks at numbers. Oh yeah, we will. You know. And so this is basically. I look at nerds as being crabs. You, every you guys have all gone crabbing, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. You, you catch your crabs. You back in the day, you put them in a five gallon bucket, and. The, cra- the crabs are always trying to get out during the day, and one gets to the top, and another one pulls it down. That's what nerds are. They're in a crab bucket. They just keep pulling each other down because they got something smarter that is ruining the game, and they- and people fall for it. So it's a it's well, a- you know, the, the the question I always ask in at times is, uh, I much rather than have catchers that can steal me five pitches a night, have pitchers that actually have command. Exactly. Exactly. You know, give me uh, give me a pitching staff of twelve men that know how to pitch, that have average to above average control and command. Uh, Then I don't have to steal pitches. Then I don't have to uh, worry about spin rates and pitch shapes and things like that, and actually just go out and pitch and and throw the ball to the glove. Here's, here's one, Will, and I, Jeff Fry and I were going back and forth on this. As these catchers are working almost 8 to 12 inches ground to up and they're stealing strikes, not just trying to steal them low and on the corners, but they're stealing them close to the plate, Yeah, making them stick. He, he, Jeff had asked me, he goes, what would you have done? I said, I would have moved three inches further back in the box and I would have strode backward. I would have strided backwards and taken the glove right off his hand. Right. And the last time they would have done that. And I, I can't believe hitters, hitters allow that to happen. Well, you see a lot more uh, catchers' interferences yeah. now because of the way guys are pulling, trying to pull pitches into the strike zone. Uh, Judge had one the other day uh, in in the game uh, in Toronto uh, against Toronto. I was at um, where where he was trying to trying to hit a ball, let it get deep, and uh, the catcher was trying to pull it into the strike zone, and he ended up hitting his glove. So. It's one of the most hallowed positions out there. Kevin, you were at the Hall of Fame. It's the position that's represented the least in the Hall of Fame in terms of number, and uh, I hope they don't ruin some of these kids' chances of of potentially getting there with it. Let's go to Albert Pujols now. He hit another homer last night. That certainly had no upward launch angle on it. It was up around his eyes, uh, the one he drove out of the, uh, the park. Chew on these numbers for a second. He's hit home runs off of 30 different teams in 40 different ballparks, and off of 449 different pitchers. And just to put it in perspective, 
Jeff Bagwell and, and Vladdy Guerrero, both Hall of Famers, hit 449 homers total. He's hit him off of 449 different pitchers. Just how good is Blue Host? And I mean, what makes his hitting approach so sound for our kids in the audience? Uh, for me, and I'll share a story, his rookie year that he uh, ended up making the Cardinals team. I was covering them in spring training, and our advanced scout came in. We opened up with the Cardinals, and Pujols, I'm watching him all spring, and I'm going, my gosh, this guy's an unbelievably good young hitter. I And so our advanced guy, who had been doing it a while, had been a major league pitching coach, uh, Mike Pazic and Pace goes, you know, what do you got on this pull holst guy? I go, he has no weaknesses. <laughs> so Pace goes, yeah, right. Come on. Well, he's a 22 year old kid or 21 year old kid. He's got to, I, I go, look, I've seen him play like six or seven games. I, I can't tell you someplace to go to try to get him out. He goes, come on. So we opened up with the Cardinals, and I think Pujols, he opened up his career hitting about 800 in the three-game series against us with, with four or five home runs. And Mike called me up and goes, yeah, I guess he doesn't have any holes right now. We need to see if we can find one. Well, he's and right now he's, he's crushing left-handers still. Yeah. He's having trouble against right-handers, but that's still – you know, why not? You know, he's at, he's, what is he, 40 years old, 42, whatever he is? You know, he's, you know, he, oh, he, he's always been pretty quick to the ball. Um, as he gotten older, you know, he has gotten some length. He wasn't catching up the, the fastball as well. Um, but, you know, you watch him. He has a real basic approach. He gets his foot down early. He gets his hands back in a good place. And, you know, you know, there's no denying that he that that he still hits left-handed pitching extremely, extremely well, and he's a tough out. He's got the second most homers versus lefties this year, only behind Judge. And you know, the other thing is is when you watch him, he sets up young pitchers all the time. Yes. Um, well, you know, that, you know. Yeah, that's that's a, talk about that. What what that's yeah. like? How important that is? You know, we you know he. He'll take a he'll take a get him over curveball, and that pit, that young pitcher will say, "Oh, geez, this is someplace I can go." Now, get him over curveballs, pull holes, you know, because he gets his foot down early and keeps his hands back, and he minimizes everything, and it's not a hard pitch. If it doesn't have finish and bite out of the strike zone down, he's going to hit it hard somewhere too. You know, you watch, you know, he's, you know, veteran hitters do that stuff. They're smart. They're a lot smarter than the young pitchers and the young catchers that really don't understand the game at all and don't understand the concept that there's guys that are setting you up all the time, you know. Absolutely. And the uh, I wanted to ask Sal this. Um, Joe Barth was saying yesterday that uh, it's very important to have hand strength, forearm strength, um, obviously swinging from your backside, uh, your butt. But, Sal, what are, what are some great exercises to improve uh, for our young players out there, um, you know, uh, hitters specifically, to get improve your hand strength and your forearm strength? Um, I think, you know, the old school, not even old school, but like the uh, I remember, you know, Steve Carlton was legendary for having uh, uh, gallon buckets of rice where he would, you know, push his hand and arm and reach down to get to the bottom of the bucket and do all kinds of just organic movements with his hand and arm to get it through the rice and get it back up. You know, functional is a word that's become overused and it's become, again, when it's marketed, put through the marketing machine, it becomes garbage. So, you know, I like to use purposeful, like what's the purpose? You know, so the the bodybuilder uh, inspired wrist rollers and all that stuff, that's garbage because that's not how your forearm works. That's not how your hand works in any athletics. So you need to do things that allow you to approximate the task. So I'm a big I'm a big believer uh, in the sledgehammer. Uh, I have a six pound sledgehammer that I use with my lacrosse and baseball players. That is. Um, 
the ideal way, in my opinion, because you can have close to the same speed. I also have what's like a, it's called a mace. It's literally like the old school um, medieval weapon. It's a five pound mace that's very close to uh, what a baseball bat would be. And I have an arrangement here in my facility that allows athletes to swing it and and hit something that's not going to jar them. And that's giving them the ability to hold a heavier device, but not so heavy that it's altering their mechanics or straining uh, what they shouldn't be straining and develop the hand and arm strength that way. So Joe Barth said he uses a sledgehammer as well. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the type of thing that that's what your hand and arm and shoulder are doing when you're playing and you ha- your hips are involved, you have to be balanced. So to isolate your forearm or to isolate any muscle in the attempt to strengthen it for athletics is, is a waste of time. The, um, yeah. Yeah, sure. the, um, on, on one of the things on the sledgehammer, uh, I think I've always told you guys when I was working with the Indians, uh, I was blessed to be, in instructional league with the Cardinals and George Kissel, who was one of the all-time great player development people. And you guys that are older, Kevin, you remember this, and probably all, all of us do, but the Cardinals always had good young switch hitters um, that could run. They would teach kids how to uh, switch hit. Absolutely. Uh, they would uh, – and George Kissel had a uh, – it was uh, it was a it was about a two pound mini sledgehammer that uh, all of their young kids that could run that they were teaching would have to go home and swing like two hundred swings with each hand individually with this sledgehammer and and and, and, and what like it did that. it was it was training their hands to hit down on the ball. Yeah. with the sledgehammer and utilize their speed. So that's how you get the Willie McGee's of the world. And, um, you know, the, the Vince Coleman who Coleman ended up not being a switch hitter. Uh, Terry Pendleton was a great switch hitter with the Cardinals that they taught how to do this. Uh, but there were so many guys that they taught and they utilized the, the, the two pound sledgehammer and doing it. And then you you would use the sledgehammer like a, a your same swing your, your swing yeah yeah well now they would do that with a really fast player and they would have him swing up so he could pop up and then yeah, yeah they'd have him swing it because if a two pound sledgehammer worked the twenty pound head sledgehammer really would be better that's no, what it was it, it was training kids who and I'm being sarcastic who, yeah you know who just didn't have the coordination because they had been hitting right handed all their life. And now they're they're training their hands how to work as a left-handed hitter. And, well, that's yeah. that's something that I that's funny you'd mention. That's something that I used to use as a kid. We had a we lived behind the, the high school baseball field. I had a wheelbarrow with ninety baseballs in it. My tee and my dad would put two cinder blocks in there each day when I'd go over. And my sledgehammer with the bat. And he said I want those broken, so I'd have to break one cinder block right-handed and then one left-handed. And then take X number of swings with the wow. with the uh, almost Rocky style, but takes X yeah. number of swings with the sledgehammer, and that's how I learned how to be a switch hitter. What did uh, What did you do with the broken? Uh, I had I had to bring him back home, and he used those as part of you know old Italian guys that like their landscaping, so he, he uses as part of his landscaping. <laughs> nice. It wasn't yeah. broken up fine enough to be back in the barrel the next day, and I had to keep breaking it. So that's great. They, they framed, well, when I was they framed up, out the hot peppers and the tomatoes. That's right. <laughs> Got it. Well, I used to, uh, we used to have uh, my father was a policeman uh, in a small town, and so we would always get the gift of a, a, a down tree for our fireplace, and uh, nothing better than chopping up a whole tree, yeah. you know. But that's how you got strong, and I think that's why I set records at my high school and did okay in college. And uh, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of hard work. And uh, I got to point out one other thing. Uh, uh, this is the last thing I got for today, but I wanted to bring it out because I just want to show how dumb baseball is again. Um, Mookie Betts is on third, first and third for the Dodgers. He's the winning run, I believe. Um, and a double play balls hit the third. Uh, third baseman takes, you know, one, one shot to his left. But you know how it is. You, uh, the third baseman may think that this might be too hard of a double play to turn. So what does he do? He shifts his feet, makes a per. He's getting ready to make a perfect throw home, but there's no catcher. 
The catcher starts down the first baseline to back up first place on a double play with the winning run, and the winning run walks home. This is the world we're in with baseball. This is the one that the media is praising, and they say, oh, what a smart play by Betts. You know, he, smart play by Betts. What about, what about the other guys? If you see this as a coach, uh, what do you say, Will? What do you say to those guys? Uh, uh, everybody, we're coming out tomorrow at 1 o'clock and do some situational work. It's, it, it, it's time to start doing that. Uh, unfortunately, I don't see any team fundamentals. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't see them even in spring training anymore. Uh, at the same level that you used to see it. Um, used to have a team fundamental every day. You know, that was one of the reasons why everybody wanted to get done spring training. Now there's there, there's no team fundamentals, basically. Well, there's, there's TikTok fundamentals. Yeah. Yep on that. I always like to point out to Sal, too. I know I already got the one exercise, but give us an exercise of the day before we get out of here, Sal. Um, I'm going to give you, um, you know, most people like to do these more difficult versions of the exercises when actually a basic version is. So bear with me. The squat thrust or burpee, as people call them, people squat, put their hands on the ground, jump their feet out. So they're like in a plank push up position, jump their feet back up and stand tall. Now, that's good if you're relatively fit and can do some of those. But um especially if you're you know, an older person, you want to prepare for that, you could do that same move, and it's difficult. Instead of jumping your feet back, do one foot at a time. So you get down into a, a relative squat uh, with both hands on the ground with some pressure on it, right, and your pressure's on both feet. Step a foot back, then put the other foot back, then step forward with both feet one at a time, and then stand up. So that's a, that's a low-level version of the more difficult squat thrust or burpee that's great for function and it's great for warm-up. Even if, like I said, even I start every workout that I do those um, burpees or squat thrusts with that movement. Um, and if you have a hard time getting to the ground, you could do it on like a step so you're not reaching down uh, all the way to the ground. Some people are a little stiff to start. That's a good way to, uh, to get yourself worked into the – hand on the ground version and then the jumping your feet back version. Nice. Sal, next week I want you to chat. Joe Barth talked about the, the batting stance where he doesn't want kids on the balls of their feet. He wants them centered. Um, maybe we can get something out to the kids next week on that with exercise of the day. I got one for all you guys. I know a great trip to the hall of fame. We talked, started the episode off with it. When you guys go to the hall of fame, who's the one plaque that you've got to go by and touch and get a picture by? Well, I always like to see Tony Gwynn. I always like to see Clemente, the great Clemente. I like to see the jersey. More than the plaques, I'm a jersey guy. I like to see their jerseys, Maris and Mantle together. But, uh, yeah, those are – it's always um, – the thing I – let me explain this to everybody. The thing I like about it, I, I'm spoiled, all right? I'm spoiled. I'm not like your regular guy that goes to the Hall of Fame. I, I would be at the Hall of Fame party on, um, on uh, you know, the night before the induction service, and everybody's sitting there. Everybody's in that Hall of Fame gallery. It's all set up with, uh, you know, uh, stuff to eat, drinks, bars, this and that, and all these tables. So maybe, uh, you know, the uh, Orlando, you know, who's ever in the Hall of Fame, let's pick somebody. uh, You know, the uh, Mike Schmidt table has uh, Mike Schmidt's actually sitting at his table by his plaque. So, you know, I'm actually seeing the plaque and the guy. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. What about you, Sal? Uh, I, I, anything Tom Seaver and anything Willie Mays, um, that's what I – those are my two guys. I mean, I was a little too young to see uh, Mays at his best. I mean, I remembered him when he had some good years with the Giants. By the time he came to the Mets, um, you know, he was less than his best self. And I got to see Seaver in those frustrating years where he pitched unbelievably well on – some of the worst teams you'll ever see. And one of the most upset days I ever had in my life was when the Mets traded him to the Reds. So uh, he's always been the guy. And I, I was at the Hall of Fame, and uh, I definitely checked out those guys. Well, everything to do with them uh, when I was there. Yeah. Will, what about you, Cal? Uh, uh, Clemente was my, my hero growing up, and Steve Carlton. Um, and then uh, Cal, because he was my roommate. Uh, 
and any of the other Oriole guys that I got to know when I was playing there, uh, guys with the, uh, with the Indians that I coached, Jimmy Tomey, um, people that I played against. Uh, I, I love going back and looking at their things or guys that I know that are in the game that I really love and respect. And you realize how humble they are because you, you never, they never brag when you start reading their stuff like Ted Simmons, who you, I would run into all the time and was one of the most knowledgeable baseball people out there. And never talked about his career and then you read what he did in his career and you go, wow, <laughs> unbelievable. Was he the smartest baseball player that you've run across through the years? He was, he, 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 he just thought outside the box. He was extremely smart. He was, uh, not fearful to challenge conventional wisdom and, but not challenge it just for the sake of challenging it. But he had an idea of, 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 of how to do it better. And, uh, also knew that there were some things you weren't going to do better. He was smart enough to realize that. Excellent. That's good. Good points. Mine's, mine's Ty Cobb. If anybody wants to read a good book, Ty Cobb, a terrible beauty, it'll dispel a lot of myths that I, we talked about media earlier. Some, some things that maybe were embellished a little bit about Cobb, but I went right to him. Well, guys, great, great episode, episode 26 in the books right here panel of resident experts. You guys have a good rest of the day and yeah. we're to tomorrow with Jeff Fry. We have Gary Gaetti on and uh, our new show coming up on Thursday with our very own Will George and Mark Wiley. It's uh, a, a day at the yard, common sense pitching with Wiley and, and Will and Will and Wiley. And that'll be on Thursday. We have, uh, we want to announce the guest. Will you want to hold off? Um, that well, Mark's going to talk to him today. Let's okay. hold off. All right, good deal. We'll, okay. we'll tweet it because I think Mark's going to touch base with you. But we're excited. He's texted me during the show, so I think it's all set. But we'll see everybody Wednesday and Thursday. Tune in to awesome. the Coaching Network. See you guys. See you guys.